Hi, I'm Adam Kaufman, and you're listening to the Up To Podcast. For the past 25 years in my business pursuits, I've been networking and serving and working with many of the most influential, successful people in America. I've been so fortunate to get to know these individuals that I decided to share some of their inspiring stories in what we had as an up to event where we would do interviews and invite a lot of investors and CEOs to talk about some of the subjects we leaders don't often get to speak on. So time and again, attendees of the up to ask me to expand the event so that more people can participate. And, and that's what led us to starting this podcast series. I'm so glad you're with us today because we want as many people as possible to be inspired by these humble leaders. I just said, this is a sign that we're all terminally ill. We all got to live. We all got to do things. And honestly, it was probably the best thing that happened to me. Thank you for joining us today on Up To. I'm excited for you to get to know Bobby George, a good friend of mine who's made a name for himself, building off his time as a restaurateur with 12 restaurants, including Town Hall. Also his move into private equity and purchasing operating companies. He's really passionate about maximum performance in his own energy and his own efforts and how we can all eat in the best possible way but perhaps what I like most about Bobby is he's not afraid to talk about the curves in the road that he's had to navigate in his life. Let's find out what Bobby George has been up to. I'm so thrilled to have with us today Bobby George, one of my favorite entrepreneurs who is involved in so many different activities. Bobby, you got your start, uh, I believe, in the restaurant business, and we're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing beyond that now. It's pretty exciting. 15 restaurants, though, I believe is the current count. Many different types, including the most popular restaurant in Ohio. Do you think you've always been an entrepreneur? Like, where do you think this creativity and this drive comes from? I've definitely always been an entrepreneur. You know, ever since I was young, I was always the kid in my school trying to sell candy bars or something, buy something and resell it. So, if I, I don't know, just always been a little bit rebellious and kind of like to do my own thing. So you were, I, I never knew that. So you sold candy bars as a kid. Like what else did you do when you were a youngster trying to just make money, hustle a little bit and uh, get ahead? You know, do we? I, when I was young, I'd go to the store, buy candy wholesale and just resell it at school. Anything I could resell, I did. You know, buy boxes of candy, go door to door and sell it. Just anything we could do to make money, we did. That's awesome. I know you're stimulated by so many different opportunities now and we're going to get into your career, but how do you decide what to pursue and maybe what not to pursue? Because there's a plethora of options, and people are coming at you all the time. So what's your decision-making process? Well, that's tough, you know, because, you know, I'd love to tell you I have some great strategy. Maybe just hunch or yeah, who the I'd person is. I'd love is. to tell you I have some great strategy, and I read a lot, and I probably should. But, you know, in the beginning of my career, the first 10 years, I was very, very opportunistic. I'm a little bit more narrowed down now. At first, I just, I started businesses that I felt I could make profitable. So I, I did everything from restaurants and bars to promotion businesses, to marketing businesses, to real estate businesses, and, you know, negotiated myself a good deal and usually was able to make money. So out of all those different types of things, and weren't you also like in sports agency work a little bit too, representation? Yeah. So out of all these different things you just mentioned, what 
makes you happiest or what is most fulfilling out of all of those if there if there's one favorite? The most fulfilling yeah, that's a good question, Adam. But most fulfilling, I love being in a leadership role. So I do love the restaurant business. I mm-hmm. do love, you know, you can really prevail as a leader and set yourself apart. And I think I was able to do that, mm-hmm. you know, earlier in my career. One of the things that I've always found impressive about you is how you took what could have been a negative, a curve in the road, a health challenge, and that helped you actually create a business idea out of your own kind of life experience. What was that like, if you're, if you're willing to share a little bit about your own health dilemma and your interest then in eating the best way you can eat? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I read a book recently. It's called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. But it talks about that. It says, you know, where there's the obstacle and where there's the problem, that's the way you should go. Mm. About 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease called hemochromatosis. I had a very severe form. It's just basically an overload of overload of iron in the body. The iron overload does the same thing to the body that it does to a car, and it oxidizes your organs. Hmm. At that point, I, you know, not that I am not now, but I was super ambitious, but I was super fatigued all the time. It forced me to look at alternative ways to to feel better. You know, because I, I didn't want to get on a bunch of prescription medications young at a young age. So I changed my lifestyle. I started reading. I was in Orlando on a business trip. A guy gave me a book. I, w- I went there thinking I was going to close a great deal. The guy said no to the deal, but coincidentally, he was super passionate about health and wellness, and he gave me a book. I read it on the plane ride back, and it honestly convicted me to change my lifestyle. Do you remember the book? Yeah, it was it was called Healthy to Age 100 by John Robbins. Okay. Although I was on my way, you know, on the path, that book really convicted me, and I started reading everything I get my hands on, and I said, you know what, the next concept I open is going to have... The next restaurant concept? Yeah, is going to have a facet. You already had restaurants at yeah, that I, point? Yeah, I was actually restaurants and nightclubs. Okay. I had one of the top 100 nightclubs in the country. Mm-hmm. At a pretty um, young age. Ohio, yeah. How, yep. how old were you then? I had my first nightclub at 23. I had top nightclub in the country at 25. And I know you were really health conscious then, so it must have been pretty shocking to you to have this rare disease. How did you process that? I mean, was it a denial at first or attack it right away with getting better? Or how, how did you, can you talk a little bit about how you dealt with that? Yeah, when I, when I was diagnosed, my mother was still alive, God arrest her soul. I thought I had the flu, hmm. and I just kept getting sicker and sicker. Said, Mom, you got to take me to the emergency room. She went to the emergency room. They did tests. They couldn't figure it out. They saw that my organs were swollen. That's when they diagnosed me. They said I had to let blood. That was the only therapy. Hmm. But mine was very severe. There was, my form was very severe, and I had it at a very young age. And it wasn't showing up in my genetic testing. And it had already done a lot of damage to my liver, which hmm. is what they were scared of. So they said, you have to go on an aggressive treatment. If you can stay disciplined on the treatment, you can avoid a liver transplant. Well, I stayed disciplined. I was able to heal my liver, avoid the transplant, not only through the letting of blood. So, for instance, you know— So the, the letting of blood, like literally having blood withdrawals, how often? You know how, like, at school you go give right. a pint of blood? Yeah. Well, liter- legally you can give, like, once every 70 days okay. a whole pint. I was given twice a week for like two years. Wow. So I was going every Mondays and Thursdays. In fact, I just got back from a therapy right now. Today. How do you feel? Yeah. You have, you're all right? I feel good. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I feel, usually I actually feel better after doing it. 
Um, today, I actually feel better. Usually, sometimes I'll feel worse. Plus, you're excited to be on your first podcast ever. Yeah, my first podcast. <laughs> so I had, um, and I always mix it up, I had liver fibrosis. I think the next step was cirrhosis. They showed me a chart of what my liver looked like and all the scarring. And mm. I don't know about you, Adam. I think you're similar. It didn't upset me. I wasn't stressed out about it. I just said, this, I got to deal with it. And my doctor always says at the clinic, he said, I'm one... I think he said, and I don't want to misquote him, I'm the most disciplined patient he's, he's had. I, I never miss a, a bloodletting. You're such a disciplined human. Like, aside from the health, I, I see that discipline. And that character trait definitely helped you in your recovery. Yeah. A lot of people could have just changed their lives for the different. Oh, I'm going to be going to a hospital once a month. I'm not going to start businesses anymore. I'm going to get a nine-to-five job. Well, but lot, you didn't you know do what? that. A lot of people tried to tell me, oh, this is a sign from God. You need to relax. And hmm. But to me, it's a sign from God I need to live. You know, I need to go take action. Because I. it's funny, I, I just saw someone post on Facebook that they have hemochromatosis they have, and they shouldn't have kids. And their doctor said it's not good for, you know, and it was just so negative. And I never looked at it that way. Mm. I just said, this is a sign that we're all terminally ill. We all got to live. We all got to do things. And honestly, it was probably the best thing that happened to me. Not that I was ever a big drinker. It actually set the tone for me. Like, God doesn't want that for me anyways because that would really have enhanced the negative effects of it. Mm. So now I couldn't really drink at all. You know, I could, but it would really damage my liver. It allowed me to really stay focused on business because I wasn't out and about. I was always working. And in my business, there's a lot of temptation. There was a lot of temptation, Uh, especially at that young age. So let's talk about that business. You endure this genetic dilemma and you navigate through that effectively, and you decided to open up the first all-non-GMO restaurant in the U.S., a place called Town Hall, which we love. How did Town Hall come about? Can we talk about Town Hall for a minute? Yeah. You know, I wanted to do a healthy concept, but I also wanted it to be a restaurant and bar. All the healthy concepts I had went to throughout the country were boring. Hmm. And I wanted it to be, I wanted there to be you know, the right kind of people working there, fun, energetic people. I wanted the atmosphere to be loud and fun and the right music. And You have great music at Town yeah, Hall. And it, to still feel like a bar. And if you wanted a burger and pizza, get a burger and pizza. But if you wanted to choose to have a burger on a keto bun or this or that, you could get that too. So everybody could go. People that were conscious about their health and not conscious about their health. It started just as having some healthy options. And then I actually the more I became convicted about how bad GMOs were for the body and the environment, I said, you know what? I'm going 100% non-GMO. Again, people told me I couldn't do it. It Mm. would kill my food cost. Mm -hmm. It wasn't feasible. I said, I don't care. I want to do it because this is where I'm going to have all my meetings and this is the food I'm going to eat. So I kind of designed it for my own self. And I know people come from other parts of the country to see what you're doing. Yeah. Maybe they tell you about it sometimes. Other times they don't tell you about it, but it's really a model for this casual but good and good for your food with great music and fun people. And for me, I'm a big sports guy. So to see Stephen A. Smith broadcasting live from the back of your restaurant, that to me is like the promised land, to see ESPN you know, at one of your restaurants. Uh, talk about how I think you have a fondness for sports too, like weaving sports into your business life. I mean, we're all as kids, uh, most of us young fellows as kids, we idolize sports and sports figures. Talk a little bit about how you bring your love of sports into your work. Well, you know, 
I always say sports saved my life because I was a bad kid that loved sports. You know, in order to be good at sports, especially because I wasn't a genetic freak, you had to be super focused and disciplined. So I went to St. Ed's. You had to be up early. We practiced before and after school. Football. Football, yeah. Mm-hmm. We practiced before and after school. and It really gave me a sense of discipline. And when I stopped playing sports, when I realized I wasn't going to go anywhere with it, just didn't have the gifts, you know, business became my new sport, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I focused Competition on. Competition and yeah, goals. I love competing. Mm-hmm. I always have been a competitor. You know, I always would ask my mom, Mom, what was, like, different about me? And, you know, just while she was alive, and she said, you were always super competitive. Like, huh. like you should thank God for that because it was nothing you did. It was just a gift. She yeah. said you were always this, no matter where you went, you were all, always competitive. You liked to compete. It's no, you know, since the time I can remember you walking. And you're still that way. It's still the same way. Ask anybody. I compete in anything. So you love sports, and you got to know a few athletes, got involved in some representation professionally. Yeah. Is that right? And you also, I think, have, I like asking people about who their role models are or who do you learn a lot from. And I know there are a couple athletes in your life that have been really influential partners for you. Yeah. Anyone you want to yeah, share with us? I would not be where I am without, there's a guy named Jeff Fain. He was the Browns' first-round pick. I think about 12 years ago, I always get the year wrong, I was uh, working at a at a bar, a bar my dad owned. Uh, it was just a small bar. Before I decided whether, what I was going to do, I was going to take a job maybe in New York or move to Charlotte. And Jeff Fain would come in, and we became great friends, and we'd go out to breakfast after work, and he said he had just signed, I believe, a $19 million deal. Mm. He talked me into investing with me because I did not want to take anyone's money. At that point, I didn't even know what an operating agreement was. Mm-hmm. We bought a bar in Akron. We converted it to Barley House Akron, and it was a huge success. He actually came up with the name. I ran it, came up with the concept. And How old were you then? I like to get timelines. I was 20. Three years old, I think. And he was just a little bit older than you? No, he was the same age. Okay, so he was a new NFL player. It's such a small world that he dated a girl from Cleveland from Notre Dame. She Mm. was at Notre Dame, and then he got drafted by the Browns to the same city where the girl he he dated was from. Perfect. And I don't know if she introduced us or how we actually met. I would not be where I am without him. He ended up signing another $40 million deal. At one time, he was the highest-paid center in NFL history. Wow. I was in his wedding— I, I carried his mom when his mom died a couple months ago. I was a pallbearer. He always invested with me after that. We sold businesses together. We've never lost money together. He really gave me my start. Didn't you tell me he wrote a book? I think he's in the, he's in the, not I think, he is in the process of writing a book. Okay. He's a great entrepreneur also. He's, he's had a great NFL career and then he went on in the, he's in the finance business now and he started his own business and he's doing great. So even though you're the same age, I can tell you kind of look up to him. Um, do you ever think about who might look up to you? Like, I know people who look up to you, but do you ever really think about who you're serving or who you're role modeling for? Yeah, I think about it all the time. Who do you think that is? What type of people? I don't need, like, names. but Well, no, the people I think about most are my management team, my leadership team. Mm-hmm. I don't want to let them down. A lot sure. of them, they work endless hours and... They're all in. They've given up everything. They give up hours with their family and everything, and they believe in me and where I'm going, and I don't want to let them down. What do you think they see in you that inspires them to give everything else up? Because not everyone can do that. And you're allowed to—I know you're humble, but you're allowed to speak positively about anything. I think what they see in me is they know I love them. They know I really care about them. 
they know that uh, I don't want any more for myself than I want for them. Well, I know there was a very successful recent Thanksgiving time activity at one of your restaurants, and I can just see the morale impact on the on the team at Town Hall when you do your your feed the need activity. Big success this year, wasn't it? It was a huge success. Yeah, we fed over four thousand people. Amazing. And you've done that how many years in a row? This is our sixth year. This okay. was our sixth year. Well, congratulations for that. Hello, up to listeners. Right now, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, a full-service corporate law firm with attorneys throughout Ohio and in Washington, D.C. I'd also like to emphasize how selective we are about organizations with whom we choose to partner for the Up To podcast. And it's with much enthusiasm that we do partner with this law firm that is close to 120 years old. Calfee's mission has been to provide meaningful legal and business counsel to entrepreneurs and investors, private business owners and nonprofits, public corporations. I've referred many successful entrepreneurs and investors to Calfee knowing how well they'd be taken care of. And it's for those reasons that I would encourage you to visit their website, calfee.com. That's C-A-L-F-E-E.com. Thank you very much to Calfee. What do you think happens next? You and I have talked a little bit about your desire, and actually now you have moved beyond just restaurants into the world of private equity and deal-making. So how do you think you're going to structure your time? You know, you have your core businesses, these restaurants, but now you're moving into some bigger things, more complex industries. Have you thought at all about how you're going to do it all? So I put, you know, I... You have a goal, you got to put the habit in place to meet your goal. My habit that I do on every every Tuesday, I did it today, and every Saturday is I spend two hours interviewing both those days. So I'm interviewing top people throughout the whole country. I hired a great executive recruiting firm, and I'm going to hire the best people. So number one, I can grow faster, but number two, I can learn from them. Building capacity. Yeah. I'm going to build out an organizational chart. Thank God our company is very well-funded. I gave a speech at my college a few years ago, and one of the students asked me what the key to success was, and one of the things I said was, live and operate well below your means. And I've always done a great job doing that. Mm. I lived in the same house I grew up in until I was 30. I bought it, paid it off. Uh, I have no, Many Americans no, don't follow that no, advice. No personal debt, no flash right now. You know, I, I just live very simple. I've saved I've accumulated a decent amount of wealth so I can do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about your new ventures, your private equity firm. What are your goals with that? What types of businesses will you be looking for? Are there any geographies you're focusing on? Why don't you talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing next? I'm transitioning from a restaurant and real estate group to a private equity group where we have a hospitality division. We'll have a real estate division and we'll have a private equity division. Okay. I will lead the private equity division. I have a few guys that are overseeing my real estate division, which we will continue to grow. And every deal will still be stamped by me. And I'm hiring people to lead my restaurant division. Okay. The private equity group, we're, look, we're mostly making investments into cash, small to mid-sized businesses, cash-flowing companies, in which we feel like we can make a difference. Majority positions? You want yeah, to take control? I take control of 
Almost every deal I do. What do you think you're uh, most excited about with the private equity side of your life? Are you expanding into new industries? Uh, I know about some of them, but what are you most excited about in terms of going beyond restaurants? Well, we're, we, 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 we are big in the marijuana industry. Okay. And, um, here in Ohio or yeah, elsewhere? No, throughout the country. Okay. Uh, I'm into a f- I'm into a few states. We've done very well. We've had some capital events, and we're considering selling out of some of our other holdings. We're in the telecommunications industry. How so? What aspect of telecom? Networking company. Okay, it's doing very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're making a couple more real estate plays. We do a lot of historic real estate, historic redevelopment. How do you follow? Like, how do you learn about these industries? A lot of business people are spectacular in one line of work. They are a car dealer or they're a publisher. Like you're talking about very different industries here, telecom, marijuana, hospitality, historic renovation. How do you keep learning? Well, they're all the same, to be honest. You know, I look for basic same fundamentals, cash flow. I look at the leadership team big time. If I believe in those things and I believe there's growth opportunities, why not? I don't understand why you have to be limited. Well, I think some people maybe are intimidated by their lack of knowledge. I've, I've raised a fair amount of money in my day, and sometimes a prospective investor will say, well, I just don't know much about that industry, whether it's a fintech startup in insurance or a complex genetics business you know, on the medical side. It sounds like you're more inclined to get involved, even if you're not an expert in the line of work, as long as these other tenants are there, cash flow positive, good team. So that's great. You're, you're, you're risk tolerant. You have a high risk tolerance. I think you may say so. Some people say I'm too conservative. Really? Yeah. Huh, business conservative. Yeah. Do you think you are? Well, I, I just, I don't, I don't think. I just knew, like, people always say, what are, what are your goals? What is it? I don't know. I just, I don't think like that. I just, I, I check it out, and if it makes sense, I do it. Mm-hmm. How do you find your opportunities? Traveling or referrals from friends? A lot of referrals. And just watching. You know, I've always been entrepreneurial, so people always know to bring me deals. I'll take a lot of meetings, probably more than I should. Hmm. I'll have quick lunches with people. Mm-hmm. You know what? I do what I say that I'm going to do. A lot of people talk, and I take action pretty quick. If That's I'm gonna, true. So that when the— I've seen that in you. When it's time to take action, if you move, the deal's there, and p- people like that. People respect that. I think sometimes people are so thoughtful about a process, they sometimes overanalyze things. You think there's ever been a time where you move too quickly, and you could have analyzed more? No, if anything, I've moved too slowly on some things. Tell us about one of those. A missed opportunity, maybe? or Yeah, a lot of missed opportunities. I've had a ton. I, I could tell you a couple funny stories. What's Will Smith's water company? It's called uh, Just Water. His son just started a water company, mm-hmm. and I had an opportunity to invest in it. Jeff Fain brought it. You know, it was, it was a small investment, like 500 grand. Not small, but not huge. And I think his 500 grand that he invested and begged me to invest, and I passed is worth... I don't know, fifteen million now, and or mm. ten million. I might be exaggerating. So then, he brings me another company, Stan Socks, which is like lightning's not going to strike twice. And I pass on that. So and that's worth ten times his money. So he's done really well in those investments. I call this the anti-portfolio. Like yeah, the things we pass on. You know, I'm involved in venture capital out in Northern California, and it's gone pretty well. Thank goodness. Smart people involved much smarter than me, but we've passed on many things, including Airbnb. Yeah, and that's funny. To that, I we, remember you told me that. Yeah, and we were, we were thinking, no one's going to want strangers sleeping on their couch. Like, what a crazy idea. 
well, it's like larger than every hotel company in the United States combined now. More room stays. So we all miss opportunities. But I don't even care, to be honest, because if I hate losing more than I like winning, Adam, you and I wouldn't them. have. Yeah, it's your competitive have, side. I wouldn't have been happy with myself with those losses because they, they didn't fit my investment philosophy anyways. What is that philosophy? Just having control, having at least some say. Like they were None of them are cash flow, and they're all burning a ton of cash. You're not a passive investor. Not right now. I mean, I'll do a little bit here and there, but but not much. You know, I want to have my hand in the game. And Is there anything you did do that you wish you hadn't professionally? Is there something that you're willing to share where you could say you've really learned from a mistake that you made professionally? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think. For sure. Maybe it's expanding too quickly or hiring a certain executive that didn't work out or taking capital from a partner that wasn't a good mix. A lot of times I wish I wouldn't have taken capital because a lot of my businesses did well and I had to give up equity. I should have used my own equity, but I didn't want to. Well, that's a learning in and of itself. Yeah. But at the same time, you, you know, your investor deserves his return. And you don't want to sound greedy, but sometimes I wish I wouldn't have taken on partners because I end up doing all the deal and that doing all the work and adding all the mm -hmm, value. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't even want to say I regret it, but you learn from Learning. it. Learning. Yeah. yeah, that's what I asked. So, like, if you could go back and talk to the 22-year-old version of yourself starting out again, you know, maybe that would be some advice you'd give your younger self? I would have bought more real estate. That's interesting. 2008, 2009, I should have bought a ton more. I had the finance order with Jeff, and he had a bunch of, he, had a, he was backed by a bunch of money, and, Mm -hmm. I was so risk averse and so scared to lose anyone's money, hmm. but I, it would have been worth ten times what it is now. And he wanted to. He he was bringing me deals, and he was so trusting of me. I I probably told him no on a couple of good deals, commercial or industrial real estate. Okay. Yeah. In Florida, he was looking at a lot of things. And how do you think Cleveland will do in the future? How's the economic outlook here in Northeast Ohio? I just got an appraisal back for a, pro a development I'm doing, and income has dropped population has dropped but but it hasn't it's, it hasn't even we're not competitive we don't have the right leadership mm. and, and it's just sad because you, you people are overly they're optimistic just to be optimistic instead of being realistic because if you don't identify the real problems and say hey we're not actually doing as good as we th say we're doing mm -hmm. you're never going to make any real change well let's talk more about you are expanding into columbus ohio i love that city major university state capital there Lots of young people moving there from all over the country. Why, why do you like Columbus? Well, number one, if you put the demographics next to Cleveland, it's not, it's not even comparable. Percentage of income, percentage of youth, number of employees, number of employers, demographic. It's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, good Columbus is one of, the, one of the coolest cities in the country right now. What about uh, on the kind of philanthropic side? You've been fortunate to make a lot of money. Are you passionate about any causes? Maybe it's health-related given your own history, or maybe it's related to your schools you've attended. Do you ever think about the um, power of private philanthropy and what kind of impact you want to have? Yeah, I've been thinking about it more and more. I probably don't give as much as I should right now. I honestly believe in giving to my employees. I, hate, I know it sounds bad. That sound maybe, bad. maybe it sounds bad, but I always want to be authentic. I give a lot to my employees. So at the end of the year, if I'm going to give, I always say, okay, who needs, who deserves, who can I bless, and who's going to bless others? Mm -hmm. Well, that leads into them believing in you. I mean, that's it's not just that, but that's part of what they're seeing. I want to see all my employees, all my top C-level people debt-free. So I really work hard when there's extra funds that 
help them get debt free. Mm-hmm. Well, I am so grateful that uh, you've given us some of your time today. You're a very busy person, and I know that you're very uh, selective about how you spend your elective time. So we're grateful that you could be with us today on the Up To Podcast, Bobby. I will tell you, you're very humble, but I want to tell you that I've had, in seven years, 14 guests for our live Up To event, and I've had an ambassador, I've had national lawmakers, I've had the most requested heart surgeon in the country. No one got as much buzz, as much talk uh, before and after his or her appearance than you did. You're kind of a mysterious, not in the public eye figure. And so I'm grateful that you came then and you're with us today at Up To to, to share a little bit. Do you try to be under the radar? Do you intentionally try to not be out front yeah, I do. Like other leaders, I do. I just, I you're do more tr- comfortable, quiet. Yeah, I don't. I just, I don't. I never thrived with that kind of attention. I don't know why. Well, thank you again, and thanks for creating so many wonderful restaurants. And we're excited to see what types of businesses you're growing now through your private equity business. And we're honored that your first ever podcast was with us here at Up To. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Okay, Appreciate thank it. you. Thanks for having me. I'm Adam Kaufman, and I'd like to thank you for joining us on this Up To podcast. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and I encourage you to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can visit us at uptofoundation.org. I'd like to say a special thank you to Bobby George for joining us on today's episode. Him and the folks at Town Hall have given us a tremendous amount of support, and I encourage you to visit any of his restaurants, and you can learn more at townhallohiocity.com and a special thank you to the law firm of Calfee, Halter, and Griswold for their role in making this podcast possible. Visit them at calfee.com that's C-A-L-F-E-E dot com Up to his production of Evergreen Podcast a special thanks to our producers Bridget Coyne and Sarah Wilgrube our account manager Connor Standish and our audio engineer Eric Colt now. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman. Thank you for listening to the Up To podcast.